This was the first time in a history class where we really spent time and dove deep into Asian American history. And for me, that was actually one of like the most impactful, impactful parts of my education that I've ever had. And having to talk to my grandparents and interview them about their immigration experience for a, for a history project, for something that I get graded for, like being required to talk to my grandparents about their culture and to my mom about what she know about her immigration and assimilation experience was really, really eye-opening for me and, and actually quite empowering to know my history. My name is Rob Van Nood. And I'm Matt Woodard. You're listening to the third season of Elevate, a podcast about big ideas, little projects, and everything in between. Rob and I sit down for in-depth conversations with students and educators to raise your awareness about interesting and important things that are happening here at Catlin Gable School and in the educational world beyond. Hello, Catlin Gable community and beyond. Matt and I are here sitting with a group of students and faculty members today um, from the Asian American community and the South Asian community. We wanted to have a chance to sit down and talk to people here at Catlin who are, uh, can talk a little bit more in detail about current experiences and what it's like at Catlin and what it's like in Portland to be Asian American and South Asian American. We also invited Crystal and Tracy to kind of host the conversation and Matt and I will jump in, but we're, we're doing something a little different. So I'm going to introduce Crystal and then if everybody goes around and introduces themselves, Matt, did you want to say anything before we pass it over to Crystal? No, I'm just, I'm excited to have this conversation and, you know, it's been a long time coming and I'm excited to get into it. All right. Crystal, you want to start us off? Yeah. Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Crystal Wu, and I identify as um, mixed race Asian American. I'm Chinese and Scandinavian. Um, and I teach English and Dialogue for Democracy in the upper school. And I'm also um, a part time anti racist curriculum coordinator. And I'm also one of the co advisors for the Asian affinity group this year. And I'll pass it to Tracy. Hi, I'm Tracy, and I am identify as uh, Yonsei, uh, or fourth generation Japanese American, and I am a upper school math teacher, and I've been at the school for 10 years. How did that happen? <laughs> what? Um, <laughs> well, this year counts as like three years, so it's actually been yeah, It's actually years. been like 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but... Uh, yes, and I'm also one of the co-advisors of the Asian Affinity Group, and how about I'll pass it over to Zia. Hi, my name is Zia. I'm a junior at Calvin Gable, and I identify as Chinese and Taiwanese American. And my parents were immigrants here. Hi, my name is Issa. I'm um, a co-leader of the Upper School Asian Affinity, um, and I identify as Japanese and Taiwanese American. 
Hi, uh, my name is Nayan Murthy. I'm a junior and I identify as Indian American. So I have been curious and it's something we've talked about obviously in our affinity group, but I would love to hear from all of you as students around how your identities as Asian Americans and South Asian Americans, um, how has that affected your life this year um, at our school? You know, as students at Catlin Gable, um, living in the Portland area, um, like what has this year been like for you through the lens of your racial and ethnic identities? Well, this year for me in quarantine has been extremely reflective. Um, I think for, for everyone, but especially as a woman of color in Portland, the you know widest major city in America, it's been really difficult growing up and not giving into those stereotypes of being shy and or shy or judgy or you know these these pigeonhole stereotypes that Asian women are put in and. Um, this year being isolated from everyone has put me in kind of this really reflective, you know, mindset and realizing that, you know, you can be cool and Asian and you can be smart and you can be like, you know, pretty and all of these things. And especially with social media um, and connecting with people from all over the world through Instagram or whatever, and, and seeing these other Asian American, you know, whether it be, influencers or something like that. Um, it's been really interesting seeing how other Asian Americans are growing um, in quarantine and just being able to, you know, acknowledge my identity as an Asian American woman and especially with my sisters who came home in quarantine for a while who I haven't seen um, since they left for college was also really, really special for me because, you know, being isolated with my sisters, again, since we were little growing up in Portland was really, really special. Um, so it gave me a lot of time to reflect and learn how to be proud to be Asian. Yeah, I think over this year, just in general, not only COVID, but also mixing with all of the recent news, I've been thinking a lot about like my identity, not just as an Asian, but like my whole identity and how that ties into it. And I've noticed a lot this year that with all the news coming in, everyone thinks of the stereotypes and they're like, some stereotypes might apply to these people, but some actually do, which makes me actually double think of who I am. And recently, a fun story is that my sister had just reapplied to get her master's. So she had to redo her, the college essay and she wrote about her identity as well. And she wrote about a perspective of where she, was Asian American and she was all of this many things, but she also was her herself and she wasn't just Asian American. And that has been something I've been thinking of a lot this year. Like, I love that I'm Asian American, but how does that tie into like me as a whole this year? And that's what I've been thinking of. And do you have some, have you found some insights around that? I think it's especially, interesting to think this way also because I'm also writing about identity again like my sister right now for one of our classes I had an option of either writing about my Asian identity or something that really composed of me and I decided to take the different route from Asian affinity and I think this year what I've gained I think 
I think I've just understood myself more, but I still can't completely understand or put into words. I feel more content or like hmm. understanding of myself of who I am and that it's okay that I don't fit all these stereotypes or I'm not like a hundred percent Asian. Like I not fluent in Chinese. I'm like, hmm, I'd say highly mediocre, but I can't, yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not like completely fluent. So I know that can be shunned sometimes, but I think I've grew to be okay with that and that I'm still Asian American with how I am. Hmm. I think there's a really interesting, I mean, there's this joke, the whole, you're a banana joke, yellow on the outside, white on the inside. I don't love this term because it's saying that being, you know, Asian, but also not knowing Chinese or your, you know, mother tongue or not being good at math or, you know, being things that aren't the trope of being Asian make you white. So it makes me a little uncomfortable, but it's a very common, you know, term that's thrown at a lot of Asian Americans. Um, but, you know, I personally just see that as Asian American culture, like being um, uh, the child, like my grandparents were immigrants. I know nothing about, like I know some, but I was not immersed into the, like my Asian roots. Um, and I'm very, very Asian American. Um, like my mom was born in Illinois. And so that's really foreign to me. So growing up being called a banana, I was like, oh yeah, like I'm totally white on the inside, like I fit in, but you know, growing up and then going into middle school, high school, and especially over this past year, like just reflecting, I've realized that like, I'm not a banana, I'm just, I'm Asian American, I'm me, like, no, <laughs> you don't get to label me as like hmm. white, you know, so. Hmm. Ryan, what about you? What have you been thinking about? Yeah, so I think, um, Quarantine has allowed me to not just think about school and kind of those matters of life, but really about my identity. Um, and since my brother is home, my dad is home, so the whole family is home, even my grandmother was home, um, I've really taken the time to um, kind of get to know my culture more. And so me and my brother are both trying to learn um, Kannada, which is um, a native language that both my parents speak. And just that whole process of learning that language um, and connecting with my culture has been really interesting and special to me during this time. Hmm. Yeah, I can relate to that. I had a fun experience during COVID. I actually connected with a lot of Chinese peers. It's kind of tangent, but I connected with in a game of, it's called PUBG. It's not as popular here in America, but a lot of the Chinese American community and just like Chinese in general love this game and like Nyan I got to connect a lot with my culture and get more chances to speak Chinese and they would teach me like oh your accent isn't good you need to fix it or don't say this you sound like my grandma no one says that word <laughs> <laughs> so that was something that reminded me of that story when Nyan mentioned that but I got more immersed in like well, Chinese culture, like their trends and then like what's popular there and this and then the controversies of like what they might believe in and like as the gener or kid generation, what they believe in and what I believe in differently. 
there's a lot of controversies between that. I think it's really interesting connecting with peers like in Affinity with Zia and, and Nayan and hearing how a lot of people have these social media apps and these games to connect with people from all over the world and from, you know, quote unquote, their culture um, and being able to practice Chinese or practice Japanese or just practice these um, really important cultural aspects is really interesting because growing up in Portland, I never had those conversations. I never ever talked with fellow Asians about how, you know, you could, you, you know, how you practice your culture. That was just not a conversation that existed. It was always, you know, about how to whitewash yourself more. And especially as an Asian following these stereotypes, I really, really pushed against learning about my culture. And I really pushed against my grandma who tried to teach me Chinese and Japanese. Like, I really didn't want to immerse into my culture until like a couple of years ago. Um, so yeah, it's definitely been like a journey with my peers and with myself and with my family, um, getting in touch with a culture that I never really knew, but that a lot of people told me I was a part of and told me that I was, you know, I was, but I wasn't. I feel like I'm, I'm hearing a lot about like the value of culture and especially language, um, I, I'm curious, so I, I know like for a lot of people, like not knowing the language of your native culture can be either a source of disconnect and sometimes even a source of shame. Um, and like some people might even say like, oh, you know, I don't speak the language, so I'm not really fill in the blank. How, how important do you feel like that is? Um, or how, how much of a barrier has that been to each of you individually to feel really connected to your culture? I think for me, it's pretty important to me because my grandma and my grandparents on my mother's side, who are the only grandparents that live near me, only speak Chinese. Their English isn't very well, so this is the only way I can communicate with them. And in the beginning, my Chinese was really, really bad. So there was a really big barrier, which is also like a barrier of like kind of immersing myself in the culture, but even through that without like being able to communicate, I still was able to like immerse myself and like eat the same food and then enjoy the same things and love the same things like holidays, like Chinese New Year, and I think like as my Chinese got better, I did actually get closer with my grandma and I saw like more things I could connect with her in, um, I don't know, it was nice. Yeah, um, I also had a very similar experience. My grandmother lives with us uh, and she speaks Canada fluently and her English is spotty because she moved to the United States um, kind of when she was older and she has remained here, but she mainly speaks Canada with all her relatives and friends. Um, and every day she's always like, what did you do? What did you do? All, all of this in Canada. And I feel like there's this gap when you don't speak that language. And I feel like we're both, she is very special to my life. And I think she can say the same. And it just feels like there's a part missing when I can understand her or she can understand me. And because I'm kind of constantly surrounded by her and 
I kind of by her loving presence, I feel like there is, I feel like I want to connect with that culture and I want to be able to have conversations with her um, because it just, it just feels like it, I, I want to talk with her and I want to sustain those conversations. And in English, they kind of are the same way. They just end really quickly. And I start, when I kind of leave that conversation, I am thinking like, I, I should have said more. And so I, I don't want those kind of feelings to happen. And I want, um, I want to continue the relationship that me and my grandmother had. And in fact, when I was little, um, it, we used to practice like talking in different languages a lot more. And I actually started to pick up the language really quickly and was starting to speak pretty fluently with my mom, with my grandmother. Um, and then then it kind of faded away. And so I kind of want to get back to where I was before. It's interesting to hear them talk about, or to hear you guys talk about um, how language is really important because for me, it's not necessarily as important and as you guys are talking about as family is. I think family is really, really important, especially in a lot of, a lot of cultures, but especially in Asian cultures. Um, and I really only felt the language barrier and the language culture disconnection when my sister, or when my mom took my sister and I to Taiwan. And um, that being said, we haven't really been in contact with our grandparents in a while. Um, and when we were, I definitely did feel that language barrier, um, but, but I, I hadn't for a while. So when we went to Taiwan just a couple of years ago, um, we landed and it was just, whole new world even also being surrounded by asians where we are the majority was so mind-boggling like the most utter culture shock my sister and i were just walking around just like looking at people being like you look like me you look like me like it was so mind-blowing um just to be the majority and um and then but then of course not being able to completely communicate with people there it definitely felt like a disconnection, but it didn't feel like I was being left out. And I didn't really feel saddened by it necessarily, just because that culture, I, it's, it's, it's mine, but it's also not like I, I didn't grow up with much close fam with close family around or, or grandparents who really enforced, you know, learning about the culture or about the language. So that was really like my first time thinking about the culture aspect of how important these things that I never got to practice are. Um, and then of course my mom, who um, I've never heard speak more than a sentence of Chinese, we landed and she was like fluent. Like she could talk to everyone and she was ordering our food. And that for my sister and I seeing a close family member of ours be able to speak a language that we cannot was one of the most, you know, surprising things. And I think that was the first time that I was like, oh, I wish I knew, I wish I knew this language um, because I, you know, cause my mom could speak it and I could not, but I really didn't grow up with, with close family members enforcing the language um, onto me or just, you know, making me want to learn it. So I think the the dynamic or the relationship between like family and language is, is really, really, really fascinating to me, you know, talking to you guys. Yeah, I think so. The same thing, because my because living with my mom, she also speaks blue, which is like a dying language. But when I'm whenever I'm constantly around her, we speak English. And I felt like 
our lives have just become very Americanized, which is which is a good thing. Like it's not, um, but it just seems like at, whenever I talk to her, I don't really necessarily think that she is culturally Indian or that she is has yeah. that part of her identity. And but then when she speaks on the phone and I overhear her conversations, I'm like, she can speak another language. She's connected with their culture. It's really interesting. So I think what you mentioned about that culture shock was really. Um, definitely true and applicable to my experience as well. Yeah, I my mother speaks a lot of different dialects of Chinese. So most of the time I can understand, but when she speaks with my grandma, they usually speak in Hakka. And it's definitely a whole different world. I'm very confused. I was like, oh, maybe if I was more immersed, I would have known this. But no, I just have like pretty highly mediocre Chinese and that's it. But your story in Taiwan actually reminded me of when we all, my family went back to Taiwan after a while. And it definitely isn't experiencing everyone yeah. being Asian. I was like, wow, I'm not a minority. And then I would see one white tourist and I'm like, that's You're me, <laughs> that's me in America. <laughs> and it's definitely interesting, but I also notice when I'm in Taiwan, even without speaking, it's really obvious that I'm from America of like how I express yeah. myself and how I like walk just in general and especially when my cousin and I are trying to find like a restaurant that has pictures so we don't have to try to use our dry Chinese we, go, we always go like oh which means like this one and then yeah. that's all we say we have this one and then we're done <laughs> yeah standing out or just going to Taiwan and standing out as an American was a was a whole nother experience of just because we fit in, but at the same time, we did not fit in at all. I remember we were in the car and um, everyone was let out of school and we were like zoo animals. I mean, we were in Taiwan and, and we looked like them, but we, we stood out like crazy. I mean, I had crop to a crop top on, I had hoops in and my sister was wearing like a skirt, booty short, like, you know, we stood out so much as Americans. And it really was like, amazing when we landed and we, when we quote unquote fit in but then I still felt completely isolated from everyone around me just like I do here in the states and so that transition back back to America was pretty difficult for me but at the same time very similar of how I was you know a couple hours ago in Taiwan because I just felt like I, I still you know don't really feel like I have a place anywhere always standing out as you know, are you Asian or are you Asian American? Are you a banana? Like, what are you? Where are you from? All of these, you know, aspects of culture and who you are and identity that I think Gen Z is really struggling with right now um, are just swirling. And actually my sister and I did try to learn Chinese when we got home. Um, she was in college and like took Chinese one. And over the summer, I bought a bunch of Chinese books and was hoping to join Chinese one this year but it was just too hard. <laughs> like, to be honest, it was just too hard. I, I, I gave up and um, ironically chose to study math all summer. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah. Um, so I think that experience was really, really important for me. But going back to your question, Matt, I think language is really, really important um, to, an, to like an extent. Like I, I, I wished and I hoped that I could learn Chinese in the summer, but um like choosing to learn Chinese over, you know, doing something that I like know that I love 
was really important for me that summer. And, and now I was able to be in Tracy's class in calculus. Um, and I also, I didn't grow up with, with grandparents to teach it to me. So it, it just, it wasn't on my list of priorities, but yeah. Yeah. I think it definitely sucks because I realized the best way to learn Chinese yeah. is being in like a Chinese yeah. environment <laughs> and constantly speaking it and then messing up. And then they scold you and they're like, that sounds stupid. Don't say that. You sound stupid. <laughs> I realized that after I immersed myself with the PUBG community of like, there's a lot of international Chinese students and then Chinese Americans and then just people from China playing with extremely high ping in America because they just want to meet Americans. But it's definitely hard to be able to or to try to learn Chinese when you don't have an environment for it to like fully immerse yourself in and mm-hmm completely speak Chinese and like which is something I struggle with just at home because my parents and I just usually speak English with like some words we just never say in English because it sounds better in Chinese. (laughs) I want to change topics if that's okay. So I'm you know we started off the conversation introducing ourselves and um, giving our micro affinities and I, I want to talk about that. Like, what about the term Asian? And, and then why do we need to say South Asian too? If, you know, Asian encompasses this giant geographical region, which is ridiculous. And I mean, that encompasses South Asia. And so why do we need to delineate South Asia? And then why do we all get to be lumped together as Asian? Um, just, you know, what are your thoughts about that? What, what do you think? Well, I personally think that my identity doesn't necessarily fit all Asians and that South Asia is such a big part of Asia. I feel like it's kind of its own subcontinent with different cultures. Um, and so in that sense, I identify myself as South Asian, but I would still consider myself Asian and it is incredulous that um, that Asia is like lumped with so many countries. So I'm not really sure how I feel about that, but. Um. Yeah, Tracy, and um, in Affinity, we've talked a lot about, you know, being labeled as a monolith and um, how like, you know, Asian, and they're like, oh, you're Japanese. Like, oh, you're Chinese. Like, those are the main, that, that's your age. Like, you, you're Asian, you're Japanese or Chinese. And um, I think, that can be really, really harmful. And especially as Gen Z with growing up with social media and all of this talk about identity, racial identity, sexuality, um, I think it's really important, especially as Asians to know that there, and for everyone to know that there's more than just Chinese, Japanese, um, and that there's all of these different cultures. And even in Taiwan, there's so many different cultures and so many different languages. Like, um, I think it's just a matter of, you know, education and being aware um, of that there's different types of Asian cultures. And also to speak to Nyan's point, I think that also Asia is so big that we all have different experiences. like pretty dramatic, dramatic, like dramatically. Um, So I think it's really important that, especially in affinity, you feel um, that you're in a space where you can share your experience and be heard and seen and supported by people who have similar experiences. 
Um, and I think since Asia, Asia is so big, there's a lot of different, you know, different experiences. Um, yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, I definitely, something that resonated with me with what you just said is like, people usually just, usually jump to the conclusion of like, oh, you're Japanese, Chinese or Korean. That's one I've been hearing mm -hmm. more recently. And that, I guess that kind of made me as like a younger kid, because I feel like I'm more identified as Taiwanese or I feel closer with my Taiwanese side than like my Chinese side because they're all the way in Asia and I don't really get to interact with them. Um, it definitely makes me feel like I'm not as appreciated or I'm not as like important when they don't mention like the other subgroups and everything or other groups. I'm wondering about um, if you feel empowered being called Asian American in that, you know, the, the roots of that term are coming from a place of building power as a group, right? And creating coalitions. And so I'm wondering if you feel that ever, or does it feel like you were just saying, like it makes you feel invisible because then, um, you know, you're just, uh, you know, kind of lumped together. And then that part of your identity as Taiwanese or, you know, Lao or whatever gets erased. But do you ever feel that power of being together? I, I, I definitely do. And I think that has dramatically changed just over this past year. And I do hate how much I'm influenced by media and by represent, like representation is important because I think over this past year or a couple of years with, you know, Crazy Rich Asians coming out and um, all of these Asian influencers growing their platforms and, you know, low-key quote-unquote Asians becoming trendy and cool and the fox eye trend where like white girls pull their eyes back to look to look like they have almond eyes all of these things that are raising awareness that Asians are here and that Asians are you know our people and that they're their own culture that has really just changed over the past few years and for me at least it's made me feel a lot more seen and a lot prouder to be Asian um, and, it, I, and I think it took that visibility for me to feel like I, you know, had a space to be proud of it. Um, and, I, and I do know that being from an all-girl household, I have two older sisters, being the youngest of three very, of three very loud, loud sisters, I, I am in a special, special case where I have a lot of support to be proud of being a woman of color and being a female Asian, being a woman, um, Asian American. And I think that that support system for me, especially being the youngest of three sisters is, is really, really important for me being able to say I'm, I'm a proud Asian American. Yeah, I think I would also, I would say something really similar because um, I because been in for being a Catlin for like a really long time I have felt very um, blended into just um, the classroom and the environment. And it actually really took me this year to realize that um, I am an Asian American and that that has some say to it because I've always just never really considered my identity in classrooms or kind of only at home is when I considered it. But at school, I just feel like I'm just a Catlin person. And there's times where I question it, but it's really just this year where 
these issues have started to become more aware and how like the media is becoming more aware of these issues have have I really started to realize that I'm an Asian American and that means a lot. So I'd, I'd like to turn to build off a little bit what you were saying, Nayan, to, to focus a little bit more on the culture in Catlin. We've been talking kind of general culture. Um, so what's, what do you think the school is doing well to support your your work, your as, as kind of developing your identity or supporting um, your ability to be yourself at school. So you don't have to just be like, I'm at Catlin and then I go home, I'm, you know, I'm my identity at home. Um, and what, what do we need to do better? What are, what are the things that need to happen at the school to make it a place where it doesn't feel like you have to put your identity or your language, um, your culture, um, you know, on Barnes Road when you come in and then take, pick it up again when you leave? I think for me, uh, this year we read a few texts from English that really resonated with me um, and they were written by immigrants. And these were kind of issues that I haven't really considered. And it really made me think about my culture and indirectly in a way um, kind of in, allowed me to talk with my parents about these certain issues that I really haven't talked about. And I think that just introducing those kind of texts to a audience of mostly white people is extremely important because I haven't really, even as an Asian American, I haven't really considered the perspective of an Asian American living in this kind of life. And it was really interesting to see those various different perspectives from um, Chinese American, from Indian Americans, from Latinos, from um, all kinds of different people. And what what was that you were reading? Um, so one of the stories that I really liked was The Unforgetting, um, which was basically a story of these Asian immigrants uh, who came to the United States in order to um, kind of raise their, their son in an Americanized way. And they kind of actually wanted to forget about their culture. But the process of becoming Americanized really actually made them think about their culture and it raised a lot of questions to me about the american dream and how it's not really about uh equality or those kinds of things that we mark but really about culture and those nuances about race and so i think because i i thought before reading that that america was like the land of the free opportunistic those kind of things, but their America is so diverse and that people have different experiences that um, that aren't really applicable to the narrative that we say as America. So and another story was also the blessed house, which was about familial um, interactions and not there was some culture, but also that perspective was interesting. Yeah, no, I totally, I totally second that we're all in the same English and history courses and Oh, you're taking American studies. Well, I'm also taking um, English. And I also thought it was really, really impactful for me to be able to read these stories by immigrants and um, and not only readings, also assignments, having large projects that are centered around my identity. Like what, that exists. Um, and this year has been 
really great. I mean, history, um, in history, we were just a few weeks ago, we, we wrote essays. Um, it was a research project about our, our immigration experience and our family history. Um, and I wrote about the Immigration Act and how that affected my, um, my Asian grandparents who actually came here on the education pass, coming here to study in, in, at a university and having to retake all of all four years of college, like all of these things that I had no idea my grandparents had to go through. I had, you know, I had no idea that um, Asians weren't allowed in America until like not that long ago. And I feel like I should have known these things, but these are things that I learned this year. And actually it's the first time ever in a history class. And, and I will say I, I transferred from a public school um, just a year and a half ago now. And um, this was the first time in a history class where we really spent time and dove deep into Asian American history. And for me, that was actually one of like the most impactful, impactful parts of my education that I've ever had. And having to talk to my grandparents and interview them about their immigration experience for a, for a history project, for something that I get graded for, like being required to talk to my grandparents about their culture and to my mom about what she know about her immigration and assimilation experience was really, really eye-opening for me and, and actually quite empowering to know my history and to know, to understand how I was able to live here has been really, really important. Um, and I think, yeah, one of, yeah, one of the most like life-changing classes that I've, that I've had. So I, I think Catlin is definitely on the right path of, of including, um, different authors and including, you know, wider, um, assignments, assignment ranges, and just, just being able to offer students the chance to, explore their identities and to show other students that there are other identities um, as part of the curriculum and as part of school. You know, like getting graded for, for understanding this is, is really, really important. And I think Catlin's doing a great job at, um, at going towards, you know, towards those types of curriculums. Yeah, um, I'm in not the same class. I'm in American <laughs> Studies history, and we actually did something similar to you guys, which is cool to hear. We also read like short stories from different people, and it was around like American identity. And there was a lot of great readings. Like there was one about someone who identified as I think she was Korean American, and she actually lived in Eugene, which was really interesting because she was so close and the same kind of environment, but. I think my favorite part of all of that was um, through discussing it with my table mates who, I had one person who is identified as a person or Asian American. And then there's the others identified as white. And it was really nice to hear like what people thought of it. And I guess I kind of expected what um, my white peers would say from the reading because it's something we talk about often at Callan. But it was the, my favorite part from that was I had a chance to speak of my ideas and I could tell that they were engaged and learning from that. And then when we were sharing out, they would share what they learned. And it wasn't something that was like basic knowledge of racism or something like basic like lessons you learn from online, like, oh, 
don't be racist because these stereotypes are right. It was like deeper actual context means like deeper context and meanings of like, oh, this is so significant because it's attachment from culture and era. And it was nice to see that they were actually listening and they were learning from more than just the base level. Yeah, I think that those kind of stories aren't the stereotypical stories that you see and hear, which I really appreciate because everyone's experience is different. And I was I was kind of like coming into this, I didn't really know what the Asian American experience was like. And it's so I thought like all of those lessons and um, readings we had really made me get like a holistic view of what everyone is going through and how there's so many different factors. So just that simple, not black and white picture was really yeah. impactful. And also outside of the classroom, just what was it like two weeks ago now? Um, um, I don't know, time is really weird right now. <laughs> um, just a couple of weeks ago, we were able to throw an API celebration and we were able to hand out treats, which was really, really exciting and really fun to see, to be blunt, like a bunch of white kids really excited about our culture. That was so cool. It was so, um, such a new experience to see a table full of lychee jellies and mochi and taiyaki and a bunch of crackers. Like, like they were able to come to this table and like be really excited about pokey. And, and actually a lot of people asked us like, what is this? Like, what is this red bean cake? What is this? And being able to explain these things that are so common to me, like, oh, that's taiyaki, duh. <laughs> like, you know, having to, being able to explain these things that are delicious and that are huge parts of my culture and to share that and to see it bring my white peers like joy and happiness and for them to be excited about that was really important. And I think having Erica um, and Jasmine who are at the, in the inclusion office, um, they were really, really, really supportive and helpful in getting that event up and running. Like we were, as the affinity group, we wanted to do something. And a week later we had a day, a time, a plan, like we had everything set and ready to go. And I think that the support here at Catlin for students to initiate those types of celebrations and those types of events um, is really, really special. And especially coming from a background um, from public school where there's just like so many students and there's so much going on and so much to handle. I was actually thinking about the time we had the AAPI booth or the Asian Affinity booth. Um, but I actually had something that was bugging me for a while afterwards. Mm -hmm. It was really fun. Don't get me wrong, it was really fun. But I think one thing that really got on my back about was that I love the seeing everyone, of course, like yeah. getting the snacks. But one thing that really concerned me was that they were merely coming for the snacks. Of course, they were curious and yeah. it was exciting. But the thing that really stuck to me was like, oh, this is a month of like history and all these events that occurred. But and we had like some, what were they called? We had what is a little pamphlet. Yeah, little pamphlets of like information of why this is occurring. But no one looked at it. It was just like, oh, these snacks. I, yeah. And there was like, I think the idea that bugs me is like, oh, we already learned enough about this. So I don't need to learn anymore. Oh, I know we're having this month because of just like, 
Asian history and that's it, they just move on. And I think another thing that bugged me from that is that I can see that Callan with especially like the time of the shooting, they kind of just threw it on the Asian affinity. They're like, yeah, it's your job. You're gonna have to explain it to us. Um, this is your this is your month, which is nice. It is our month. But I think, <laughs> but it's like also that I want we want you to teach us. I think that mentality can be good, but it's also not like a great mentality of like, yeah, we want you, you have to teach us. We're not gonna make the effort to learn. We, I think it's great when people do, but most of the mentality is like, oh, you teach us and we'll choose if we want to take it or not. Mm -hmm. And I think when we were making the booth, I was thinking of like, possibly for like another time, could we encourage people to join us in making this? Or like to encourage people to learn with us as we share this with the community was something that I was thinking of. I totally, yeah, I totally agree. And I also, um, I also like, I mean, this is just an example that like Catlin students are so excited about like including more people and about um, like further, you know, progressing our school and that there's room for that. Like there are you guys who will listen to us and there's Tracy and Crystal who are here to help us further along, um, you know, whether it be assemblies where we can include faculty or other students. I think that there's just like a lot of support here um, while at the same time there are things to work on. Um, I think that there's a lot of support to work on those things and to, um, you know, teach people not to make us teach them, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, things like that. So, um, yeah. Can I ask a, just a follow-up question to that? What would you each want the wider Catlin community to know? Like if you had one message to share with them about your experience or what you wish they understood or a change we could make, like what would you want us to know? I think a common thing that I see with Catlin kids and something I would want them to know is that I know we learn a lot about racism in Catlin more than other schools, but I think sometimes kids take that as, oh, we know enough and now we're good. And I think I would tell them like, no, we're not done. There's more, <laughs> there's more, we gotta keep learning. And that this isn't just the end mark. This is just like a beginning of a chapter. This is to get you started and to open your perspective. I would specifically like to send a message to um, fellow Asian identifying students because I know there are a lot of them on campus. Um, I just see you on campus, but not at Asian affinity meetings, which, which is kind of my point. Like um, there is a space that we hope is safe for you to share your experience and that you have support and to share your experience and to learn more about your identi identity or just listen to other people. You know, you don't have to talk, but, but there's a space for you. And whenever you're ready, and I know that it's a long process to become ready to meet other people that have shared experiences as you, um, but when you are ready, we would love for you to come to Affinity and um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I would say to the Catlin audience, do not assume anything of anyone's experience. Mm. Mm. Well, I we have 
one last question, and this is a question we're we're asking people at the end, and this is an opportunity for you to share uh, either a, a book you're reading or a movie that you saw or like a website or some social media that you think um, other people in the community should check out. So, you know, a little plug for something that uh, would expand other people's understanding of either you or your experience or uh just your, your family's experience or any of those things and i'm gonna i'm gonna ask tracy and crystal also throw something in there um my personal favorite movie is called the farewell it stars <laughs> it stars a really famous actor her name's aquafina she was in crazy rich asian she's pretty famous but that movie was one of the movies that really clicked with me because it really, it's really sad. And it really, I think it does a really good job with um, showing the American or Asian American perspective. It's of someone, it's of a girl or an adult. I think she's a young adult. It's been a while <laughs> since I watched it, but she's an Asian American, Chinese American. Yes, Chinese American. Uh, it's kind of blurry right now, but her Chinese isn't good. And her grandma had just been recently diagnosed with cancer. And it shows like a good, it shows a good perspective of like different cultures with American culture and Chinese culture and how they deal with it differently. And I think after watching that, I was like, oh, wow, I never thought about it this way. And then afterwards, the day after of like crying for a whole day, I was like, okay, I'm going to go visit my grandma. <laughs> Another movie that I would really recommend is The Half of It. It's about a young Asian American girl who um, works at a train station because that's the only job her father could get in the States. Um, and she becomes, she befriends this, you know, jock, this white, I don't know, football playing jock. And they become really, really good friends as he tries to win over this, this classmate of theirs um this really pretty girl and as they as she, and she's a great writer so she helps write his write his love letters to her so as she writes his love letters he slowly falls in love with her while she's secretly falling in love with the girl that he wants so it's a big love triangle but it also is about sexuality and about discovering your identity and also about her living as an Asian American um, teenager in a fairly white town, which I was really, really, um, which was really, really relatable to me. And also just the family dynamics that she has with her single father were really um, also really relevant to my experience growing up with a single mother. Um, so I think that film uh, which is, I don't think it's a very well-known film, but it really takes on all of these issues of assimilation and of family dynamics and of growing up in, in a very fairly white, white town. I would recommend, I think a lot of you have heard of it, Never Have I Ever. Um, it's a TV show on Netflix. And the reason this clicked with me immediately is that they don't portray the Indian as a sidekick, or there isn't a white director that is saying, oh, you should be act this certain way. It's written from the perspective of an actual Indian American. And it's one of the most relatable shows I've ever watched because it follows the complicated life of someone 
who's battling out their cultural identity, who's just wanting to be a normal teenager in school, who is also wants to be educated and all of those different layers um, made it very relatable. And I, I appreciate how the, 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 the show was both a very comedic and easy to follow show while it had a lot of deeper themes that um, you can guys digress, uh, you can kind of digest and. Mm. I have uh, a book that I read recently um, that's just about racism more generally. Um, it's by Resma Menikin. Uh, he's a, um, uh, a therapist. That's not the right word, but uh, he. Um, it's a book about basically like healing from racism and the way that it physically manifests itself in our bodies and for all people, right? Like white people, black people, Asian people, like everybody. Um, and I think the whole world should read this book and, and we should all heal from racism and, and change the world. Hmm. Um, I love hearing all these recommendations. There are a lot that I would agree with too. Um, I was thinking about a book I read last summer that actually Kelly Park, our CGSA president and senior, um, recommended at one of our affinity meetings. I, don't, I guess it was at the end of last year. I don't know, but I read Minor Feelings by Kathy Park Hong. Um, and I know that if any of you listen to the Still Processing podcast, they're doing a book group with it right now. Um, but it's a book of essays. So Kathy Park Hong is a poet but she's written these essays about um, being Asian, an Asian American woman, um, going to college, what it's like to be friends. I mean, it, it just feels like it kind of traverses a lot of territory, but there were so many moments in that book where I just kind of like stopped dead in my tracks um, because it felt like she was um, just speaking to a lot of what I and my, you know, Chinese family members have talked about. Um, and then the second one is a book that Derek King, our upper school librarian, recommended to me that I just finished called Good Talk. And it's like a graphic memoir collage. Um, and she's half Indian and half white. And she, no, 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 sorry, I'm wrong. She's Indian, but her husband is Jewish and they have a half Jewish, half Indian son. And just her experience of living in New York as somebody with brown skin um, during 9-11 and what it's like to raise a biracial kid. It's so good. So good talk and minor feelings are my two book recommendations. Awesome. Yeah. Well, Rob, can we list those in the show notes? <laughs> yeah, we'll list all of that stuff. Awesome. I just want to thank everyone for coming on. This has been a really great conversation. I just want to say thanks for being vulnerable and sharing your experiences with us. And hopefully this gives our listeners a better idea for what it's like to be you in our world right now. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, thanks everyone. Yes, thank thanks for this opportunity and thanks to our students. Yeah, thank you for your time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Elevate. If you have questions, ideas, or want to share your story, please email us at elevate at catlin.edu. Thank you.